Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is October the 26th, 2021. And after a bit of a vacation from LSAT Life podcast, we are off to a new year. And once again, I welcome my collaborators here, or maybe I'm their collaborator. Uh, Keith uh, Seiska in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York City and what's happening all good hey. yeah all good how's it going okay well i'm okay nothing's happened in the last couple months people still oh, want to go to law school there's big news in the last couple months last big week. news you mean i yeah. missed it no i think you know about it the the power score barbary connection Oh, I saw that. Somebody posted that in the group. So have I got this right that uh, Barbary has decided to, has bought PowerScore. Is that right? Yeah. I find it fascinating. Okay. Well, you know, this is, this has gone on before, um, you know, Kaplan, a company that you all know was bought, uh, you know, in the, maybe, I don't know when it was the eight late eighties, early nineties, I think by the Washington post. Yeah, that's then right. hired a Harvard MBA to, you know, develop it from that point. And, you know, I, I suspect that it's a much bigger company today than it was. Uh, you'd be you'd be amazed at the number of acquisitions that the Washington Post company has made in the name of Kaplan. In yeah, they're years. huge. We're the world's market. largest test prep provider. By far. Yeah. I think it's almost 30 acquisitions in the last 35 years that they've made. 30. Can you list a few? Uh, well, you know, among the most significant, um, they acquired Manhattan Prep. So all of those Manhattan Prep books that we have are actually just. Isn't Catholic. that Andrew Yang's company? The guy who was running for president? Is it? Oh, my God. You don't know this? No, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Guys, come on. You're the one who's in this 24-7. But then again, I'm perhaps more interested in politics. Yes, yes you're right. He wasn't the founder. There was I think a, he was. The, he may have been the founder. Andrew Yang, who was seeking the, the Democratic nomination for president, I think was one of the founders. He was definitely the founder of one GMAT preparation company. And I think it, I think it was it Manhattan was, Prep. Did somebody Manhattan check Prep. that? Yeah, it was Manhattan Prep. He wasn't the mm. founder. He came in as CEO after the fact. Um, and then mm. he was there for the acquisition by Kaplan and took that money and made his fortune off of that. Think Interesting. of that. Oh, my God. You know, I remember Manhattan Prep. Now, they were... Um, you know, in the last few years, so I ran a test prep company that was more than LSAT, right? You know, it's G-Man, Chieri, all that, all that good stuff. But I do remember Manhattan Prep being a competitor in the last in the last uh, few years. And they were, you know, they were a, I, I think they were a fairly highly regarded company. And, yeah. and one of the reasons for that is, my, this is just my impression, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but my impression is that these, these test prep companies who focus on a smaller number of tests generally are perceived as perhaps better go-to places than the ones that the mass market ones who do everything. Is, is that, am I right on that? You know, I don't know if that's the right perception, but that's probably the right conclusion. Go ahead, Jake. Well, I was going to say, you know, it, 
I was working in test prep. I mean, I'm still working in test prep in New York. But when I started in test prep in New York, it was the early 2000s. And there were a number of companies of the size of Manhattan Prep at the time that were in sort of the same business, which was very high end, one on one tutoring with the Upper East Side, Upper West Side, and, and downtown crowd. And they, what, what they would all do is they would hire highly, highly intelligent and well-educated tutors uh, who would become specialists in specific tests and then go off and, and sell them under the umbrella. And, and Manhattan Prep did this and Varsity, uh, not Varsity Tutors, what was the other one? Ivy, Ivy Tutors would do this and, and my former company would do this. Um, and, and I think the difference at Manhattan Prep is that they aimed also to create published materials that they would sell under their umbrella. And that was what was attractive to Kaplan, was that the particular curricula, curricula were interesting to Kaplan, and that's why they acquired them. It wasn't, it wasn't for the boutique tutoring. It was for the curriculum. Well, the yeah. tutors come and go. This is the problem. And this is why the people who have been most successful at this have never uh, run these things under their own names uh, because you have nothing to sell. I mean, you know, I did very well for many years in, in Toronto, Canada, uh, but I was also uh, running the stuff really under my own name. And, uh, you know, I, of course, you know, we all wish we knew more when we started, uh, but I mean, that was, that was obviously a mistake. So, you know, there's a pattern, right? You know, you create this type of company, you do it for the purpose of, of selling it. And the difference uh, with Kaplan was that, although there was, and I believe still is a Stanley Kaplan. Uh, I think he passed away in the last couple of years. He was quite, I, I, I met him a number of times in New York. He was quite- Really? That's yeah, interesting. Can you, can you confirm that if you're- if you're I'm going to check. But the thing about Kaplan was that um, it became it became a trademark. The name actually became a brand, right? Yeah. And the company was big enough so that nobody, everybody understood that you know if you took a course with Kaplan, you know you weren't getting Kaplan, you know, as the teacher. So it became a brand. Have you figured out is he is he is he? Yeah, dead? He, pa he passed away in two thousand nine. At, at ninety years old. Wow! Wow! Great! So great life. You know, yeah, he, sure. was, he was uh, born in New York, um, son of Jewish immigrant parents from uh, from Latvia. Uh, son of his father was a plumber, um, and uh, founded the company in 1938. So he started out as basically just a tutor because that you know these tests weren't around. That's very very interesting. Yeah, when I was um, you know years ago, I was in uh, Massachusetts doing the Massachusetts bar exam, actually. And by the way, speaking of test prep, I did take Barbary. Huh. Um, interestingly, which, you know, I thought I thought was a pretty good course, but I was also interested in the general LSAT market. And I met somebody who was, you know, director of the Kaplan Center in Boston, who actually was uh, one of his daughters, huh. who, uh, you know, apparently was was running the thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's an amazing, uh, amazing success story. So there's a book, uh, test pilot about Stanley Cat. It's either about or by Stanley Kaplan. Have you seen the book? No. Well, it's, uh, it's worth reading if you can get a hold of that. I mean, for those people who are actually interested in the industry, you know, when we go back to those years, um, you know, say 1980, 
uh, where the end where the industry was really really beginning to take off. Uh, you know, there were a few. Have you ever heard of Sexton Educational Centers? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. you know, I mean, John Sexton was and is a real person. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, w- I would certainly consider him to be a pioneer uh, in the world of test prep. I mean, there's a great deal about, you know, his, his extraordinary life and achievements online. Um, you know, and there was a, uh, a review course called Evergreen Review Course. You know, keep Googling while we're talking. I mean, John Sexton would appear in a Google search, but I don't know if Evergreen. Yeah. Do you ever hear of Evergreen, Elsa? I've not heard of it. So do a search, see if anything shows up there. Um, you know, and then there were all of these, uh, you know, just sort of smaller local ones. Uh, which many of them, I think, did very, very well because of the, the growth and the interest in law school, you know, in the decade of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting in, in looking at Kaplan, you know, between 1995 and the present, um, a lot of these acquisitions are international as they spread their wings in, into Asia and, and Australia. Um, but a lot of local and regional tutoring companies that they just sort of absorbed and folded into the company that had tutoring centers that became Kaplan centers. Um, you know, one in California, um, a bunch of uh, for-profit colleges, uh, Sawyer College campuses. Um, uh, well, Kaplan has a law school, I believe, doesn't it? Isn't Concord Law School a Kaplan company? <laughs> it's really. Oh, I, I try to forget that that thing exists. Um, but you know, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. I mean, I'm presuming it's not an ABA approved law school, whatever it is. I stopped seeing advertisements for it. So I was hoping that they had gone away. But uh, it, I think you're right. I don't I, I don't think they're ABA approved. Oh, because um, it's, it's Purdue is Purdue Global and Purdue Global and Kaplan have their fingers. And, you know, they're, 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 there's some Venn diagram there. I think there have been acquisitions by Kaplan of certain campuses of Purdue. Well, I mean, there, it's pretty clear that there's a good deal of money in education. And then you get into India, which I don't know if you've ever been to India, but, um, you know, we're seeing the, uh, the private tutoring market there, but it's phenomenal. And not, and not only is it phenomenal, but it's, there's like a billion people there. Right. But, you know, not only is it phenomenal, but it's, it's sort of considered to be the default for how people get things done. Right. It's through these private tutoring companies. Right. Right. And, um, you know, for years I used to get, uh, all these, uh, inquiries from India, you know, people, you know, do you want to partner with us in India or, you know, do you want to bring your, you know, thing to India, et cetera. And, you know, unfortunately at that time I was just sort of losing interest in it as a business, but, um, it, it is amazing how vast the, uh, you know, the private tutoring uh, and test prep market actually is. Yeah. And, you know, this acquisition model, I think, is pretty much the norm because that's how I got swept up into Princeton Review. They had acquired an MCAT company in California that was very successful, small regional company called Hyper Learning that Steve Katz had started. And he became one of the VIPs at Princeton Review. And I was trained under the hyperlearning MCAT system and went on to teach many different things for Princeton Review, including LSAT. Uh, so that whole acquisition model is just how the big players work. And 
Barbary is owned by bigger fish and they've acquired power score and it's all, you know, par for the course in my experience. Now did, um, I had somewhere I got the idea. I may be wrong. Did uh, Kaplan make a run at uh, Barbary at some point? I don't know about that. I was working at UWorld when they acquired Themis not too long ago. And so just over and over and over again, that's the pattern that I see. As soon as there is some success in a small regional company, they're either purchased to pilfer their materials or to stifle the competition, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. But that's the model that the... Or, or both, you know, yeah, both. yeah, sure. Well, you know, what's, what's very interesting from this discussion is uh, that whatever, you know, Jake points out that uh, the, the attractiveness of Manhattan prep as a target for Kaplan was the materials and, um, you know, if we look at the power score thing, right, I presume it would be and largely the power score Bibles, right? And they're online materials. You know, this company that owns Barbary is a technology investment company. And Barbary has been investing heavily lately. If I if my observations are correct, they're they're investing in AI and automated test prep, and they're trying to remove the tutor from the process and power score has also developed online materials. I imagine that they're after the, the technology, not so much the books, but I could be wrong. I don't know anyone who was involved in that deal. Well, well part of the thing about the books, right, is that they, at least for PowerScore, I'm presuming that they include, uh, they paid the, for the rights to reproduce LSAC, the actual questions in those books. Am I right or wrong on that? Yes, they do. So that would make it, you know, I think far less valuable, right? Because, you know, they, they won't, I mean, sure, you know, they buy the company that has negotiated the rights to reproduce the materials, but they don't own them, you know, they don't own right. part of the materials. So that's right. right. Well, you know, Cap Kaplan and Barbary were jointly implicated in a, in a, in a collusion effort to corner the market. It was a, it was a, like a, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a monopolistic effort on the two of them that Barbary agreed to stay out of the LSAT market while um, Kaplan agreed to stay out of the bar prep market. And um, there, there was a class action suit against them, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. Well, now they're both, they've both reneged on that because Kaplan does bar prep and Barbary does LSAT prep. So there you go. <laughs> when, when did Kaplan get into bar prep? Oh, years ago. I mean, I did Kaplan and that was uh, 2012 or 2013 when I took the bar. I think it was after this class action suit because they no longer could hold themselves to those agreements. They decided to both both invest. Yeah. And by the way, you know, Kaplan's not the only one that's guilty of this, this sort of verticality. Right. You look at Princeton Review. Princeton Review's got the same problem. They've got they've gotten bought three times. Uh, in the last 10 years. And they're now owned by a parent corp that has a hundred other companies, including other internet-based data companies. And, and they've been implicated in trying to collect data on people to do sort of cross-seeding of data between the test prep stuff. And, you know, they have internet dating brands and, and all sorts <laughs> of inter interactive corp owns all kinds of stuff. So, you know, when, when we think about motivations of these large companies, right, it's not it's not just the typical things about, well, they're trying to sell their books and they're trying to make margin. And so they're looking for the highest margin opportunities in test prep. There are there are far more important things to serve on the corporate level for these companies than simply do their students do well on the test.
Well, yeah, sir, especially for the demographic that I think we're talking about, you know, the age group and, and all that. Now, let me ask you this, what your thoughts are. So so Barbary, Barbary has been purchased, or rather power scores been purchased. Barbary Bar too. <laughs> Barbary was owned by the Lexus group and they got sold to the West group and now they're owned by Francisco Partners. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, so what does this mean for PowerScore LSAT? Does it have any effect on it, the quality and all this? Or like, what do you think the prognosis for this is? Well, we'd, we'd, have to, we'd have to first determine what we think the current quality and, and, and you know, sort of effectiveness of their materials is to begin with. Well, there are some people who like them, that's for sure. There's no doubt that the content itself is high quality. The question is whether it will actually result in individual people doing better on the LSAT. And, you know, Keith and I were talking about this earlier. The problem we have is that there's drift, right? As soon as you create materials, those materials begin to, begin to drift away from quality as your focus becomes selling those materials instead of making sure that those materials are effective. Okay, and also okay. the LSAT drifts away. They purposely move away from the most popular, you know, strategies on the market, particularly when they're driven by, you know, things that aren't part of the, the underlying skill set. So you have both factors. You have now PowerScore has a, an incentive to trade on their reputation and not update the product and LSAC has an incentive to continue to update and innovate the exam. So they're just going to drift further and further apart. That would be my prediction as they already have. I think power scores already drifted far from, from the, uh, from the contents of the exam. And, and the, and the more corporate verticality you get, the farther you have uh, the executives in that corporation from what's actually happening on the ground and the further removed actual results are from corporate success. And so it, it, ultimately what's going to happen is that they, they're, going to they're going to grow because that's, that's the driver for a corporation is to grow and make more and more money. And the truth is that the way that they do that is not by making an incrementally better product, it's by spending money on marketing. That's how they grow. And that's how all of these companies grow, which means the product gets worse and worse as they get bigger and bigger. Yeah, and there's no question marketing. that this is a marketing game and not a quality game. And, and you know, and this is really demonstrated because, you know, in the, the Facebook group, for example, you know, so you get these people that come on and they ask a question like, uh, you know, is Kaplan any good or is power school, you know, any good, this sort of stuff, right? Or test somebody test, you know, whatever they are. And, so it's fairly obvious, right, that people know about the companies, but it's not as if just knowing about the companies is any particular indicator of quality, right? I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because if you compare it to, say, an automobile that, you know, in my day, I don't certainly don't think it's true anymore, there was an ad, Chevrolet, the heartbeat of America. Um, you know, I mean... The car was well known, but it sort of, I think, came with generally a presumption of quality. I mean, nobody would, 
you know, walk into a, a meeting and say, you know, I, I've got this on my mind today. This is a big issue in my life. You know, I'm thinking of getting a new car. Could somebody tell me if Chevrolet is a good car, right? I mean, can you imagine something like that, right? But, you know, you compare it to, um, you know, an LSAT course, um, you know, I say everybody knows about Kaplan. I, by Kaplan, I mean the group. I don't mean, you know, to target Kaplan specifically. But they say, well, is Kaplan any good? So I guess with products, you know, you get a name brand thing, fungible thing, you know, maybe it's okay. But, you know, with these tutoring things or test prep, it's anything but, isn't it? Yeah, different tutors all over the place, different needs for each student. And um, the private tutor is almost always going to be a better option than the big box course, if you can afford well, it. Well, a private tutor is a better option if they're willing to tailor, if they're willing to recognize what you need and tailor something around it. Uh, I mean, I think the point is that the big box course not only has no way of doing that, but necessarily has to be a course that anybody can teach. Right. You know, so you got, I don't know, I'm just making up a figure. Uh, I mean, during when there's an LSAT test, would there be at least, would there be a thousand Kaplan LSAT courses going on in the world somewhere? Yeah, probably. Or more. Yeah. I mean, how many of those? So, you know, so who teaches them? Well, you know, to teach it, you have to, it has to be a course anybody can teach. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Kaplan has a lot of very, very good teachers, but, you know, the sheer quantity of teachers they need sort of guarantees that they're going to have a lot that are maybe not so good too, right? Well, there's a lot of, there are quality control problems, right? How do they know when a teacher is teaching effectively? How do they know that a teacher is is communicating the strategies well. And even if they are, you know, as any classroom teacher will tell you, it is really challenging to get 30 people with different needs and different starting points, different, different skill sets to learn the same things at the same pace. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge challenge. And if you're not a master teacher, that's really hard. I mean, people that have PhDs in education and in pedagogy struggle doing that in classrooms with with students that are much closer together in terms of their skill sets than the average Kaplan teacher has in an LSAT course with people coming from all different places. Oh my God, you put it that way, Jake. And I realized now that I was that I existed in a golden age. My classes were so big that, you know, they weren't tailored to any one individual. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I keep t I keep telling people this about the big box courses that it's not that they don't have value. It's just that the that the people that are able to derive value out of those courses can also derive value out of books and can also derive value out of self study. And the people that can't derive value out of self study aren't going to get anything out of the course either. They just aren't because it's all ideas they've been exposed to already. They can get that stuff for free or for under $50 with, Kaplan, uh, with Khan Academy and a couple of books. They can be exposed to all of that. It's what they do with it that matters. And being in a classroom with a, with a, you know, for lack of a better word, it's not that they're amateur teachers, but they're not well-versed in pedagogy. They're not communicating the, the information effectively. Well, I, I think the real point, Jake, is that whether they were or were not, master teachers they'd still have impediments that would you know because of the diversity in a class that would be you know probably even for a master teacher making it you know turning into an impossible situation right absolutely absolutely 
Um, and, and, you know, we can look at the test prep industry broadly and see that this is a problem everywhere you go. I, you know, one of, one, of the, one of the analogies that I made this morning to Keith, which I think really holds, is you can, you can think of this the way you think of casual family restaurants in the world, right? Somebody comes up with a great, a really smart person comes up with a great idea and founds a new test prep company. A really good chef comes up with a great new neighborhood restaurant. And it's so good that somebody says, hey, I want to open up another one. And suddenly you start to grow, right? And this was the story of Applebee's in the 80s. Applebee's was really good in the 80s. It was a great neighborhood bar and restaurant where you could get good food for cheap and bring your whole family. And then when they started to grow and then they started to franchise and QC went out the, went out the window and they started looking for margin and cutting corners and became a corporate structure, suddenly everything was shipped in and they'd cook everything in the microwave. Nothing was freshly made and it became junk but it became junk that made their owners millions and millions or billions in revenue. You know, this reminds me of the movie, The Founder. Did you ever see the movie of The Founder about the story of McDonald's? Yeah, well, I saw that. You know, actually, there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, parallels between the movie and what you're talking about here, because, I mean, it, assuming this is true, right? I mean, this is the movie version, so I have no idea, obviously, but assuming this is true, you know, the McDonald's, the original owners were actually interested in quality and, you know, and weren't, weren't really interested in, you know, expanding and were certainly far less interested in the business aspects. And this guy, Ray Kroc, comes along, doesn't care about the quality, just looks at the speed of delivery of the product and says, oh, my God, you know, this is an amazing thing. And, you know, you look where McDonald's is today, and I don't, I, I honestly I think generally and certainly in test prep, you know, would have to think that the bigger the company gets and the more the management is uh, business people, you know, sort of at the expense of the people who are interested in the teaching, I think probably the more watered down the product gets. That's probably uh, true. But here's the thing. Um, Kaplan is a huge company, has done tremendously well. And this is the point, regardless of the quality. Yep. In spite of the bad quality. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody could. I mean, I don't think that you can have the best quality and be the biggest company. OK, right. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I think there's a trade off. So the question is, you know, you always want to grow. You always want to grow your profits. The question is, how far can you go, you know, at the expense of quality? Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I think that's a good segue into into some of the other companies, right? Because we can look across the board, and and we as test press prep experts can look at some of these other companies and say, what who does deliver a, a decent product, and who doesn't? And we can see that there's a there's a there's a trend line here, right? Um, and that some of the smaller companies do a better job. Some of the people that have one book or two books rather than series of books tend to do a better job. And, and so, you know, maybe we can put a keener eye on the way we look at products and try to sift through the marketing and get at the quality of the product and know what to look for by sort of examining some. Well, people have no, have no idea what to look for. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's like trying to find a lawyer, right? Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, unless it's something that's incredibly mainstream that, you know, you can expect anybody and everybody to do, you know, it, it, you have no way of assessing this stuff, right? This is the problem. And I think that the, the real issue, okay, so let's take a step back for a minute, okay? And although I don't, 
you know, feel any pride in this. Uh, I think that if we're all honest on this call, we can agree on the following objective truth. That the test prep industry largely leverages people's anxiety about tests, right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're not dealing, okay, so, you know, but what does that mean? It means that you're not dealing with people in perhaps the most rational, objective frame of mind and people, you know, human nature is they see what they want to see, et cetera. And I think that it often makes them, you know, somewhat more susceptible to, uh, you know, perhaps argument that, you know, more people take this course than another course. I mean, actually, the more people who take a course, probably uh, the biggest reason not to take it because you're going to get what everybody gets, you know, what most people get sort of thing. But I think that people, you know, are very, are very susceptible, you know, to that type of thing. Another thing that, that is a problem in the test prep industry, uh, and, you know, I know this with 100% certainty, having lived through many years of this, is that I don't think that, I would not include myself in this uh, for reasons I'll give in a second, but I do not think that the whole test prep and tutoring market is generally a collegial club. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I remember once giving a, um, a talk at a pre-law society and I mentioned something about, uh, you know, I think I was talking about Kaplan and Princeton and I said, well, you know, my, my impression was that Kaplan did this and Princeton Review didn't do that. And Princeton Review had a representative there who stood up and said, that's a lie, you know, <laughs> et cetera. I mean, you know, I, they're not my thing. I had nothing to do with this, right? I'm just giving it, you know, a thought, right? But my point is that there's so much disparaging, I think, uh, of other companies and other tutors that I think it really adds to the toxic, uncertain, anxious environment with this. Would you agree? I never really thought about that. I always felt like my disparagement was perfectly justified. <laughs> <laughs> But it might be, Keith. It might be, Keith. Okay, but you know, we still have the, the issue of not whether it's justified, but you know, what impact it has, you know, on sort of the, uh, you know, the consumer market for this, right? Yeah, I don't. I haven't wanted to think about that. I suppose I'll, I'll be Keith's corrective and say I, I go the other way, and I say, look, everybody's out there trying to get your score to be higher, and most of the people that wrote these things are generally intelligent. There's no bad material. It's only a matter of what you do with it. Everybody's got the same stuff. Uh -huh. And all of it, and all of it's reasonably inadequate because it all rests on your shoulders, not on ours. That's ultimately a disparagement. Then you're saying they're selling you a false hope. And oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Everybody's lying to you. Everybody's saying we can get your, you know, one sixty five plus money back guarantee. So, so yeah. in other words, what you're saying, Jake, is you know, I I have good news and I have bad news. Um, the good news is that. You know, you don't have to worry too much about this because everybody's the same. And the bad <laughs> news is that they're all bad. Yeah, I, I, but again, I wouldn't say bad, just inadequate, right? Not uh, which of the following can most reasonably be inferred from the previous statement? <laughs> insufficient is the word I'll go for. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but anyway, I mean, as a general, in a general sense, right? So we talk about this, and, and I, I do agree with you. Well, actually, I'm not. Sure. I think we all agree that the bigger the company, uh, 
the, the growth generally comes at the expense of quality, right? So the bigger the company, uh, the more, the greater the risk of, you know, having a lousy teacher, right? Yep. So we agree with that. Um, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you share my view that generally it's a pretty toxic, poisonous environment? You know, I'm a better tutor than this person or this, you know. That's marketing. You know, how, how else are these people going to market through all that noise, right? Either you're Princeton Review or Kaplan and you are the name, in which case you can just slap your, you know, your, your, your silly song. Your, yeah, your ridiculous song that's on every YouTube video that I watch. Um, or you're one of these other companies, PowerScore, Testmasters, Blueprint, LSAT Max, whoever it is, and you have to disparage the competition in order to step through, right? Like, how does RC, does RC Cola even exist anymore? I don't know. How Never do heard other of it. Cola? What's RC Cola? Yeah, see, there you go. All um, right. Point yeah. made. Port made, right? So if you're not Coke and Pepsi and you want to sell a beverage, you're going to have to say whether you're whether you're more delicious, more nutritious, you know, whatever it is, but you're going to have to compare yourself to Coke and Pepsi. If you're a fast, a fast food burger joint, you're going to have to say we're fresher than McDonald's, we're more nutritious than McDonald's, we're bigger servings than McDonald's, we're, you know, whatever it is. But ultimately, that's the messaging, even if it's implicit. You know, marketing. you know, listening to you talk, uh, it reminds me of what I think was one of the greatest advertising slogans of all time. Maybe the greatest. Here we go. Avis car rental. When you're number two, you try harder. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> really good. It's really good. You know, I have Interestingly, I have always used Avis car rental. I mean, I have no idea if... Uh, you know, if, if that was entrenched in me or not, but, uh, you know, but, but that's interesting. So that's, that's one now, now here, let me give you another uh, great ad slogan from the past and we'll see. So do you think that, um, do you think that, uh, you know, said tutor could survive or grow his or her business with an ad when you're number two, you try harder, or do you think it wouldn't work in that industry? No, that'd be clever because it's a very competitive industry. Yeah. And we all we all recognize, just as they recognize, you know, in the in the car rental industry, that there are the number one and number two players in this business. Right. There is Kaplan and Princeton Review and nothing we can do at this point is going to overtake that. Right. In See, you know, I find this fascinating that, that you describe it that way. I mean, I've been away from this for so long. I mean, that's why I find it so much fun to check in with you guys, you know, been away from this so long that I. Like, this is almost news to me that Kaplan and Princeton Review are actually this big. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, I mean, I, I just sort of seen them as, you know, established companies that, you know, I don't know, it just seemed to me to be, um, you know, at best flailing around trying to survive in the digital age. But you're telling me they've done pretty well. Yeah, they got a, they got private equity and 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 corporate funding, rocket fuel, marketing and publishing giants. That's what yeah. I should find. Maybe I should find a different way to be in this. I, you know, I certainly don't want to be a teacher tutor in this, but God, maybe the business opportunities are, are there totally. Well, here's another great ad. Uh, I once, when I was in, in you know in my undergraduate degree, I took a course called. I think it was something to do with advertising and propaganda or something, and I actually wrote an essay on this on this ad. So um, I don't think smoking is that prevalent anymore. And by the way, for any of you listeners who smoke, you should stop. It's bad for you. Uh, but 
you know, there was a cigarette company. I understand they're still around. Camel cigarettes. Are those still around? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant ad, okay, where, you know, they'd have a magazine and there'd be a bunch of people at a beach or at a party or something like this. And the question would be, can you spot the camel filter smoker, right? So, I mean, it, it, it immediately engaged people. And of course, you know, the camel smoker was the most sort of subdued, confident, generally coolest person in the room without even trying. The and, camel who can shoot pool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anything and everything. Okay. <laughs> you know, so how would you use that kind of marketing in the world of LSAT prep? How would you, for example, what about an ad saying, can you spot Keith's student? Look, I, you know, <laughs> as, you were, as you were describing this ad, I was thinking about this. I was like, could, could we set ourselves a task for, for, our, for our Facebook groups or the, or the listservs or whatever that we say, hey, we're going to put a question out there. And we're going to try, I want you guys to spot the answers that we think are the best, the ones that adhere to our methodology, the ones that we think, you know. I think that's a great fun. idea. No, I that's, that's funny. A fabulous idea. We can pair it with this podcast. I think it would be fascinating. Absolutely that happened fascinating. today. It happened oh, it today. One of, one of my students posted a question today where he said, here was my thinking about the question. And it wasn't just, here's a question, teach me. He was... T telling us why he was attracted to one of the trap answers. And one of the tutors jumped in and said, that's great analysis. He was complimenting this guy on the way that he analyzed the question and the way he was interacting with the group. And I liked the tutor's message because I was proud that my student was doing this. He did spot that this student was engaging more effectively than the others. Now, he didn't know that was because of me, but but I, I knew. Yeah. And, and look, we, we do the opposite as well. There are those people that post in the group that post either ad hoc explanations, uh, sorry, uh, uh, like post, post facto explanations or some form of like, ah, I now know this one's right and I can see why it's right, but I have no idea why this other one's wrong help. And people just sort of list ridiculous sort of content-based justification for the premises and nobody's ever thinking about structure. And then one person, one, will come up with something actually substantive and, and one, you know, either Keith or I or, or, or one of the other people will, will, will just slap a comment down there and say, that's the one, this is the one you should be listening to. I frequently try to validate the the positive things people are saying because there's so much noise and even among the tutors i find a lot of the explanations to be unhelpful at at best yeah yeah well I, you know, I mean as somebody who has uh you know written and contributed to various books on this you know i can tell you that it's not easy to write this stuff right, you know and also i would add that there's a point i made uh, you know uh a friend of mine, I don't know, about 15 years ago, wrote a series of books, uh, which, you know, were actual explanations for the, uh, you know, the series of 10 LSAs. Like he would, you know, he would actually write books, you know, with explanations. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were really, really good. And, you know, at one point, uh, you know, I had an agreement with him to, you know, uh, give my students access to them, et cetera. But 
you know, I always, as much as I like this guy and, and still do and admired his work, I always felt that I had to, you know, give the caveat, remember, as good as these are, it's just one person's perception of this, right? It doesn't make it, you know, uh, the only way to view this or necessarily the right, but absolutely, you know, this is very effective analysis sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I always tell my students when they ask me for a, for a postdoc explanation, I'll tell them like, look, I can give you one, but it's going to be deeply unsatisfying when I give you something that's actually useful. And the thing that's going to be satisfying, it's not actually going to be good for you, right? To, to go back to the analogy, the thing that you want is a glass of Coke. You want something sugary sweet that makes it feel like you're doing something that's good for you. And it's going to make you happy for 15 seconds. And then, you know, a day later, it's terrible for you, right? When the thing that's really good for you, the thing that you actually need, isn't going to feel like anything. It's simply going to be, an, it, it's going to be far more, it'll be stripped down. It'll be devoid of any of the things that feel like real explanations. And instead it will feel um, sort of basic and structural and, and you'll be, be left feeling like, well, I wasn't told anything new. I said, well, yeah, because that's actually what you need in order to get better at answering these questions. We now, Jake, this gives me a thought for how you might market your services, something like this. LSAT prep that you'll hardly even know was there. <laughs> it's a, well, it just sort of happens yeah, magically aut automagically automatic auto score improvements hey that's triple review I, I think that students who are willing to indulge this process that we've developed it's so laborious and so intellectually demanding that you couldn't do it and walk away from it unhelped have you ever heard of a cough medicine called Buckley's mixture? Or is that just in Canada? Have you ever heard of this? I haven't, no. You know, you know, you know, you know what their marketing slogan was. I remember. Tastes awful, but it works. <laughs> maybe, yep. maybe that's what you maybe that could be the marketing slogan. Yep. Feels yep. awful, but it works. But it yeah, works. we analogize our stuff to to working out every day at the gym. It feels awful. It's it's something you don't want to do, but it's really good for you. And if you do it enough, there's some really good benefits. There's a payoff at the end of the row. There was a great article in the New... I, I think it was in the Times. It might have been the New Yorker about a woman whose 10 or 11-year-old cellist was auditioning for the Juilliard Extension Division for, for high schoolers. And she looked at this kid, this 10-year-old, who had spent the last two or three years two to three hours a day in his bedroom with his cello playing scales. And she marveled at this child and said, how does this child, man, like he can't sit down and do his math or his reading or whatever, but when it comes to the cello, he will, do, he will sit there and he will do his scales and his fingering and work on his vibrato and all this stuff, hours and hours a day, because there was a thing on the other end of it that he knew that if he endured this grit, and found pleasure in it, found flow in it. If you haven't read Flow, by the way, uh, the Chikshan Mahai book about finding joy and happiness in everyday activities, go read Flow. But once he found flow in this work on the cello, he realized that the benefits on the other side to his playing were so great 
that it, that he found intrinsic motivation. That's what you have to find in LSAT prep, in SAT prep, in bar prep, in MCAT prep, in in your in your law school work in one L when you're doing all this writing. You have to find joy in the gritty sort of. Uh, the, the gritty work that seems devoid of real meaning or application. No, it's all valuable for an end that is far enough from away from you and that you are non-expert enough to, to, to not be able to realize is there, but you need all this work. This is how you get better. This is how and, you and here and, and, and here's, and here's your advertising slogan. The joy justifies the means. Ooh, <laughs> see, and and this is and this is what all those those test prep companies not that they don't want from you but they simply cannot communicate to you through the format and and the 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 paradigm that you interact with them in right yeah. you can't develop that grit through reading a book and you can't develop it in a classroom setting right and you can't even really develop it one on one right like you can go to the gym and you can have a a, a trainer the trainer can't make you be gritty. He can yell at you, right? She can she can berate you and get in your face and and make you feel ridiculous. Or there can be a positive motivational factor and and make you feel great about yourself. But ultimately, it's intrinsic. Ultimately, it comes from you. And either you adopt that mentality and become better, or you don't. And you don't really gain anything from the work that you're doing. The toughest thing about this work is that if you're a good educator who does test prep, you understand that extrinsic motivators fail frequently. And so when you find your students who say, I really want a good score, I really want to go to law school, and you have to reframe it for them, what you have to really want to do is study the LSAT. <laughs> you can't really want the score or the result. You have to really want this. You have to really want to yeah, that, understand that's exactly this test. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, you need to focus on the end goal you know, so you know where you're going, but on the how to get there, it's the journey, right? It's the journey that I got to focus on. That's what gets you to burn the midnight oil, that joy in the journey. And some of those other companies, the ones that do an adequate job or a decent job at test prep, do so because they offload some of the structure. They offload some of the executive functioning piece of this. Uh, from you onto them so that you can concentrate on just doing and engaging. You know, they'll gamify, whatever, right? The, 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 uh, the internet-based ones, uh, Seven Sage and LSAT Demon and, you know, some of the newer players, Adept and things like that, they're trying to gamify the prep so that you remain engaged and you can start developing intrinsic motivation. But ultimately, you know, the claims about AI and the claims about data-driven delivery of you know, of material, none of that is, is truly meaningful when compared to what really has to happen, which is that you want, you need to want to get better and you need to want to analyze your own thinking and improve upon it. And to no be really humble. Do, yeah. You have to really want to fail almost. You have to embrace those failures. And most 20 somethings aren't there yet where failure is comfortable for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know most of them are not proud of low LSAT scores. But even the high scores, you know, have trouble really embracing their mis mistakes to for for growth. Well, you know, that reminds me of that great uh, that great paragraph out of I think we may have had this in a previous podcast out of David Owens. Um, what was the book he wrote about SAT prep? But anyway, he starts off with this paragraph where he says, you know, that these test scores 
you know, evoking anxiety is way out of proportion to anything. And, uh, you know, he says, well, you know, low test scores are worried that, you know, this is somehow a brand or a statement of who they are permanently and high test scores worry. It's not a brand or statement of who they are permanently. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, the book was called none of the above actually, none of the yeah. above, as I recall. Yeah. You know, which is an old book. Um, you know, one other question just occurred to me before we wrap this up for today anyway, was so Andrew, who, who is the runs? Like who actually owns power score? Who are the people who, like who actually sold it? I don't know. Or, or whoever runs it, but whoever they are, we'll call them persons A and B. So my question for you is this, or C. Uh, so Andrew Yang sold Manhattan Prep and ran for president of the United States. <laughs> and by the way, has now founded a new political party. Do you think that whoever sold Power Score should now become candidates for president of the United States? What is it, Dave? Killerin is he yeah, the? Uh, I have no idea who, who runs it. Yeah, Dave Killer, and I think he may have been from the Test Masters. A lot of the people came from Robin Singh's bunch. He was. Yeah, I like think the, I think Test Masters, and I think Blueprint. Actually, there was a. Um, you can probably find this the old internet stuff. There was a very highly publicized lawsuit between a couple of those companies years ago. Yeah. But anyway, focusing on the positive. Yeah, so I mean, will will Dave Killeran run for president? That'd be interesting. It'd be good for the test prep industry. I'll support that. You think? Yeah. I don't know Dave well enough to know whether he'd make a good president, but uh, I don't know if, if I'll support well, him for president. Fact, I want him to run. In fact, the person I actually have no idea who, who actually runs it. All right. Well, so this has been a really, really interesting discussion about the industry and advertising. I mean, Keith, how do you like an ad? Uh, can you spot Keith's LSAT student? Yeah, perfect. That's because my claim in the market has always been that I'm different. Whatever those other companies are doing well, I'll leave it to them to do that. And you can go work with them for that. But if you want to know what they're doing really badly, come to me for that. I'll do it better. But I don't try to fix the things that aren't broken. I don't teach a lot of logic game stuff because I think Seven Sage is not doing a bad job on logic games. And I think you can get that really cheaply. You don't have to pay my rate for that. But well, the other thing is, I think it's important for all LSAT tutors. I hope you're anybody's listening is an LSAT tutor is that it's okay to get the answer right. Okay. It's okay to get the answer right. And you should just put it. Uh, it's also okay to get the answer wrong, but just make damn sure you get it wrong quickly. Right. Okay. If you're going to do that. Well, what do you think, Jake? What would be a good slogan? You know, it, it, it's hard. You know, the, the, as, as soon as I start to, to adopt slogans and then I start to grow and then my quality slips, maybe maybe we shouldn't be marketing at all. We'll keep everything underground. It'll be like a speakeasy. We'll do LSAT speakeasy. You have to know the passcode at the door, the correct knock, right? And then maybe we'll let you in. Um, no, I, I look, I... For me, it, you know, if we're gonna spot Jake's students, I want my students to be the ones out there keeping things simple, keeping things concise, not getting bogged down in their own thinking and making sure that, like you said, they're not spinning their wheels, that they've got pencil on the page and they're working hard. Yeah, it's tough. You know, actually in closing, let me ask you a simple question. How would you like to be a pre-law student today trying to make sense of the LSAT market? <sighs> 
I tell you what, I I I would have a really hard time. I, it's really hard to analyze the um, the value add, right, and sort of the and the the um, the value proposition of it all, right? I I have a really hard time justifying the thousands of dollars that people spend on the whole process, right? And and it, it it's not just test prep; it's that plus all of the costs of admission and all of the costs of preparation of of, of packages and CAS and all that's they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars to then go into a private education system that is charging them tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to have this degree, and 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 the whole the whole financial picture is so brutal that to know where to start, especially if you're not sort of on the typical K to law school path and you're coming right out of undergraduate, but instead you've got a job and a family to support and navigating that is just so it, it's, it's, it's unswallowable to me. I, I really, I, I have a hard time helping people with that bit. Yeah. You know, as, as uh, the pattern is that, you know, I send you the recording of this to post. I mean, it, it strikes me that a nice title for this might be uh, how to think about LSAP prep or, you know, something of that nature, which has been a very, very interesting and I think valuable theme. I really think that today was a, a very, very valuable discussion for, you know, people sort of uh, sort of getting into this. And, you know, Agreed. obviously I, I thank you for it. Um, so well, maybe we'll wrap this up for today. And, and once again, uh, this is John Richardson speaking with you from uh, Toronto, Canada. Uh, that, by the way, is uh, north of the United States. Um, apparently the fourth biggest city in North America, if, uh, you know, et cetera. But in any case, I'm speaking with uh, Keith Seisk in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York, who I think I can safely and accurately say have created the Triple Review Program. That's right. Uh, right. Maybe maybe in closing, if you'd like to give your individual coordinates, that'd be great. Sure. I'm uh, Jake Feldman, uh, Nexus Academics. Uh, you can also find us at triplereview.online. Uh, and we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and TikTok and all of your other favorite social media platforms. Yeah, of all the different brandings we've had, the one that seems to stick the most is Triple Review. So I'll send everyone there. and. Uh, We'll try to promote those resources a little more, more favorably. Yeah. And we've got, um, you know, Keith and I both do open office hours. Anybody's always welcome to, to come to those. And I'm going to have a sort of a central resource, um, a, a web interface where you can log into those uh, office hours anytime they're happening and see when the next ones are. So that's um, great. Yeah. And so both Keith and Jake are, uh, members and you know post fairly prominently on the uh, Facebook uh, what is it Facebook groups LSAT study group so you can you know find their their generous and helpful insights there okay well thanks very much till next time thanks John thank you.